Yeah, it's important to be faithful in the little things, in the little things that God asks you to do. You know, you, all, you think like Jessica was saying, like, oh, $100 is not going to do it, you know. Even if I do that every month for the next four years, it's still not going to be enough. But God is always more than enough. And we just have to be faithful in doing the little things. And I just want to honor you guys today and thank you for doing the little thing today and making the sacrifice of your time to come and worship God. You know, it's, it's a sacrifice to take time. You know, there's so many things we could do. As the weather gets better, it's like, oh, I want to be out on the lake. I want to be going, doing whatever. And it's like, no, but God, you are worthy of my time. And as you honor him, he'll honor you. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he'll lift you up. And so today, we've all taken the sacrifice of praise. We the, the time, said, God, I'm taking this time. I'm going to church, and I'm going to worship you. And you know what happens? God can make you more productive and more restful in yes. all the other times throughout the week. So it's like you didn't even feel like you missed that hour and a half or whatever it is. When we sacrifice unto God, you can't outgive him. Come on. You can't outgive God in whatever it is, in whatever area he's drawn to. Because we all know there, there's more people that could have been here today but prioritized other things. But I'm honoring you because you took the time. And because you've honored God, God will honor you today. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you that right now as we open up your word, we thank you that our eyes are open to be able to see clearly what you have said in your word and to see clearly what you have for me in this season. Father, I thank you that I'm never out in step with you. I'm always right lockstep with you, that where you go, I go. Where you want me to go, I follow. And I find myself at the right place at the right time for opportunity. I find myself at the right place to stand in your blessing. I thank you, Lord. I find myself at the right place to be able to bless others. Lord, that when I'm with you, I know where you are is good ground. And so I thank you, Lord, that today I am on good ground. I thank you, Lord, that as I've honored you, oh, Father, open my eyes to see all that you have for me in this season. Holy Spirit, we know that you inspired this word. We know that you moved on the hearts of men of old to write these things down. They're revelation straight from the heart of God. And we thank you, Lord, with the same heart that you inspired them to write, the same heart you inspire me to receive and listen this day. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Come on. I, I had a great time in worship this morning, but worship doesn't end when they get off the stage. Worship is part of our lives and part of our whole, whole thing. When we, when we honor the word, that's worship. When we give, that's worship. When we take time in the morning when you wake up and say, God, I just bless you, that's worship. When you stop to admire the beautiful sunset, that's worship. When you look into God's creation and see his handiwork on the backs of the ducks as they fly off the water, that's worship. Come on, we, we've, we've put worship into a narrow box. You know, praise is the fast songs, worship is the slow song. No, worship is giving of my time to honor God. Whether that be time on my knees in prayer, whether that be time serving others and lifting others up, whatever it is, when you set something aside for God, that is worship. Hallelujah. Well, we could preach an awesome message on worship right now, but we're right now in, in the theme of the believer's authority. 
And this is going to be our theme for the next little, little while. We may pop in and out of it. But last week, we were talking about hope. And hope is such an awesome topic to stir yourselves up. We are living in a day where most people are hopeless. They don't know how to run the roots of hope. They don't know how to stir themselves up to expectation. And you can say, what does hope have to do with the believer's authority? Everything. You know, the, the Bible says, this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, but that doesn't take anything away from faith or hope. There's still three things that will remain. They're part of that three. And you will find faith, hope, and love wound and woven through every topic of the Bible. And so you can't talk about healing without talking about hope. You can't talk about provision without talking about hope. You can't talk about God's love without talking about hope. You can't talk about the believer's authority without talking about hope. And so with a world that has lost the ability to hope, we have to understand we're not talking about worldly hope. And just because we use the same word doesn't mean we mean the same thing. There's a difference between how the world views hope and what the Bible describes hope as. When we look at the, how the world uses hope, it's like this fantasy wish. It's like this ideal world that I would like to live in, but I know I'll never get there. God's hope is completely different than that. It is, is the Hebrew word elpis, which is, you don't need to remember the word, but remember this. It is a confident expectation of things to come. Now, when, usually when I define it, I say it's a confident expectation of good things to come. But really, the good is not in there. It's a confident expectation of what you see coming down the road. Which means that there could also be a confident expectation of bad things to come. You know, hope runs both directions. And though, while the world has lost a sight of how to see the good side of hope, they know how to run the negative side of hope. Do you know what it's called? Worry. Hope is living in the land before you've walked into it. Worry is living through tragedy more than once. You live it before you got there, and then you chose to have to live through it again because you already framed that world and walked into it. And so if we think about it, though I said the world has lost hope, it's not that they've lost hope, they've just lost sight of how to use it. And they've begun framing a world that they really don't want to live in, but they've just got so habitually used to walking that route that it's all they know now. Just like you can place faith in the wrong things, you can point your hope in the wrong direction. But that's why we're talking about this, because you don't have to. Yeah. Say, I won't, I won't, because he won't. I love that song. When we talk about hope, it is a confident expectation, and we might as well just insert good back in there, because we want to train ourselves to have a confident expectation of good things to come. That no matter what it looks like, where I'm standing, I believe that where I'm going is better than where I am now. And even if where you're standing right now is really good. Because the trap that we often fall into is we look at this and we're like, hey, life's pretty good. I'll just stay here. It's all good here. Why would I want to grow? I'm happy here. I'm comfortable here. 
But you know, life doesn't stop moving. And if you stop moving, life keeps going. And the Bible says he takes us from glory to glory. So if you stop at glory, he keeps moving to the next. And he's wanting to stretch you and grow you and build you bigger and better than you are today. In your capacity to bless others. In your capacity to be able to believe. In your capacity to be able to receive from him all good things. Whatever it is, he's wanting to grow you. And so if you're living on yesterday's hope, you're stagnant. And so we don't live in yesterday. We live in today and we look to where we're going. No matter how good it has been, God will keep you on going further and further and further. And you can say, how can he do that? He's God. He has no limits. Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 that we would be able to understand what is the breadth, the width, the height, the length. And what he was saying, we, that we can understand the dimensions of God. And when he prays that, he fully knows that's not something you can fully comprehend. That when you think you've gotten God nailed down, you notice a new facet of him. And it's like, oh my goodness. He's so much bigger than I ever could have imagined. His grace is just so much better than I ever could have thought. His love is so much deeper than I ever could have imagined. I like what Brother Hagin used to say. I've forgotten more about the Bible than most people have ever learned. And so when you think you've got it down, he'll show you something new. He's got some angels that he created that fly around his throne all day, every day, And each time they pass, they go, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. Because they saw a new aspect of him that they didn't see before. And if they've been doing it since the moment they were created up until now, and they will be doing it from now all the way until eternity, man, how much more can we learn and grow and stretch And when we say that you've been created in Christ Jesus, that you're a new creation, if you're in Jesus, how big is he? How big does that make you? If he calls the church the fullness of him that fills all in all. Come on. This is why we have to talk about hope. Because hope stretches your vision. Hope is tied to vision. And as we spent a lot of time talking last week, and we don't, we're not going to go over it again. If you need a refresher, it's on wordchurch.ca forward slash media. Hope has to do with what we see, not naturally, but what we see with the eyes of our heart. We need to begin to look with God's eyes at situations. Because when we look at natural, with natural eyes, we'll see doors that are shut. We'll see walls that have been built up. We'll see obstacles that seem insurmountable. But when we look with the eyes of God, we say what David said, I will run through the army and I'll leap over the wall. He did, I love King David. I love reading about him, even though he did have some ups and downs in his life. I loved his no-lose attitude. He didn't find a situation that he could not overcome. Even when he was in the pits of his despair and he went through some dark depressions, which we'll probably talk about later on in the message, he, whenever he hit that point, he always saw the way out. 
So much so that when a little boy, probably around the age of 15 or 16, showed up to deliver some supplies to his brothers, and a big old giant came out and was saying, send somebody to fight me. And all the Israelites are hiding in their holes. David's looking around. He's like, what are you guys doing down there? I'll fight him. Send me out there. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistines that he would defy the army of the living God? And Saul said, okay, you can fight him, but he, and here's some armor. And he's like, I don't want your armor. And he went and got a sling and a rock. Come on. That's confidence. That's a hope that has been placed in God, that he knew that when he got out on that battlefield, it didn't matter what had to happen, he was going to win. He didn't care if if heaven had to open, an angel came down and killed the giant for him. He knew that the giant wasn't leaving alive. And so the giant, when David got out there, laughed at him and said, "Am am I a dog? You send me out this little, little thing to fight me? Come on. And he said to him, today I'm cutting off your head. And think about this. He didn't take a sword with him. He didn't take a sword with him. Which means there's only one person out there that has a sword. And he plans on taking his. Come on. That's confidence. That's a hope placed in God. And so he did exactly what he said. He got that sling going. Put it right between that giant's head. That giant fell. He picked up the sword and took off the head. And he kept the head and he kept the sword. And you know what they did with that head? Just just for a little outside of the message trivia here for you to remember. They took it to Jerusalem. And they planted it in the ground. And it became the place of the skull. And at the time of Jesus' death, do you know where he was crucified? On Golgotha's hill place of the skull and that moment where David walked out there in hope and he slung that stone into the giant's head is just the same way as Jesus stood on that hill for us it says for the joy for the hope that was set before him he endured the cross because he knew that that cross was just like that giant he would taste death for everyone so that they wouldn't have to We are so off track today, and it's so awesome, I'm not going to apologize. Hope is tied to vision. You need to have God's vision in your life. You need to look at how he looks at the situation versus how everyone else is looking at it. And you say, what's this about being able to see before you see? You you realize people do it all the time. There is not a thing that exists in this world that someone didn't see inside before they created coming down to the iPad that I got here, the chair you're sitting on, the pen that's in your hand. Everything in this world someone saw and was like, yeah, maybe I should do this, and they put it together. You know, I think it goes all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve, you know, they may, they may have sinned and they may have fallen, but they still had wisdom. And I bet it was one day Adam was leaning up against a tree, and he was like, you know what would be nice? If I had a, had a tree that I could take with me wherever I went and sit on like this and lean up. You know, I'm tired of sitting on the log hunched over. Maybe if I just cut out of the log and, oh, I got a back, and he created the first chair. Come on. (laughs) Everything that exists in this world once started as a vision inside someone. These are the roots of hope we're talking about. 
Hope is not tied to what you can see. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 24. He says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? You don't need hope for what you can already see with your eyes. Hope has to do with where you're going. You know, hope looks future tense. Just a little side note, faith looks present. It says, now faith is. Faith always deals with what's now. Hope has to do with the journey you're taking. Are you willing to commit to a life of movement? Because that's the life that's committed to hope. A life of movement. That each day, I endeavor to get better, to learn more, to be more in tune with God, to learn to yield to His Spirit, hear His voice like I've never heard before, to be able to walk in His presence so that when I walk into a room, it's just like everything begins to light up with the presence of God. Everything just becomes to, it's like people are like, why was everybody fighting and now everybody's just gone quiet? That you can shift the atmosphere and you can have stir that hope before you even get there. Here's a prayer that I like to pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that your favor goes before me. It prepares a place for me before I ever enter into the room. That it's gone before me, it's prepared hearts, and it's made ready for the things of the kingdom. And so we're saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. So why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. An eager expectation. That's the stance of hope. I see it coming. I'm so excited. I don't care how long I have to wait. I've already seen it. I've prepared space for it. I'm ready to receive it. Come on, when you actually believe something, you begin to prepare for it, right? If you're going to plant a field, if you're a farmer, what do you do? You prepare the field. It means you clear out all the garbage. You till the soil and get it ready so that when it's time to put that seed in the ground, it's been prepared. Hope prepares your field. Hallelujah. You know, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon said that where there is no vision, people perish. Where there's no vision. He's not talking about natural vision here. The word actually is closer to the word revelation. And where did we start in all this last week? Paul's prayer said, God, I don't forget about them. I continue to pray for them unceasingly that you would give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know what is the hope of their calling. And so here we see where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, the people perish. And people are marching their, their root of worry their, their root of lack of hope or perverted hope or negative hope, they're marching that way. It says where there's no vision, people perish, which means that when you have vision, you don't perish. You walk the other way into victory. You work the other way into purpose. You walk that root down into the goodness of God. You walk that root down into his favor. You walk that way down into the fields that he's prepared for you. So where there is no vision, people perish. But I'm not a person who lacks sight. I'm a person who has vision 
provision of God. I know what he said about me. I know what he said is possible to me. And when it comes to the believer's authority, I will stand in my place and I'll say, devil, you can't take mine. You can't take my people. You can't take my family. You can't take my stuff because you're defeated. Come on. Where there is no vision, people perish. The New Living Translation says, when the people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. And that's the picture of the world today. They're going to run wild in every other direction but the one they're supposed to. But it's not about what everybody else does. It's what are you willing to do? What routes are you willing to walk? So what has hope have to do with believers' authority? Because I have never preached this topic this route. I have never gone the route of hope for the believer's authority, but God knows what we need where we're at right now. And he's wanting to stir up vision in you. He's wanting to stir up hope in you again because you will not walk in biblical authority that you cannot see. If you have not seen yourself standing in the place of victory, you will not walk into that victory. In the same way, you will not overcome the trials of life that you can't see yourself beyond. Anyone can say, well, it looks like the walls have closed in. There's no way out of this situation. I guess I just have to accept whatever comes my way. Anyone can say that because they're looking with these. I look with this. Hallelujah. And as we said last week, we walk by faith and not by sight. Okay. Hebrews chapter 11. Wow. You know, I, I told the leaders before service, I'm like, every time I sat down to write this message, I kept moving it all over the place, and I'm like, I just, it's, I'm not usually like this, but I believe that God wants us to walk a route this morning. He wants to take us around some obstacles. He wants to open our eyes to some new things. So we'll preach whatever he wants, right? In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, now faith, is the substance of things hoped for why is hope so important because if there is no hope there won't be any faith if hope does not rise faith has nothing to have substance of because it says faith is the substance of things hoped for if you've hoped for nothing you can't put your faith in it and it's not some empty promise is faith is the thing, substance of things hoped for. This is substance. This is not. You can't have faith in something that does not exist. And hope is substance. Just like I said, the world sees hope as a fantasy they will never obtain. Hope is the land walking into. It's not a fake place. It's not a fantasy place. It's the place that your faith is creating as you go ahead and see. You go ahead and believe it. It says faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so we cannot talk about faith without hope. And you can't talk about hope without love because faith works by love. And you need hope to have faith and you need love for faith to work. And so faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. 
And it says, for by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Who are the elders are talking about? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, they go on and talk about all of the Old Testament people. Actually, I shouldn't say all. Some of the Old Testament people who did amazing, impossible things that just were not um, usual, ordinary, normal for everyone else around them. We, could, we talked about David. We could talk about Abraham. We could talk about Moses. We could talk about Noah. We can talk about all of these people who, by faith, did amazing things that normal people weren't doing. And so the elders are talking about is who they're going to go on to talk about later in the chapter. But that's not what we want to talk about today. In verse 3, here's where we, we want to sit for a second. It says, By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen, these things, were not made by things which are visible. Now that's a little bit wordy, and I, it's a, the, the language I believe is a little outdated, so let's look at the New Living Translation. It says, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Meaning the universe that we exist in and we live in, God didn't take something that was already there and do this and there you go. No, he looked inside and he took what he saw inside and said, why don't we just bring it outside? Everything that we now see once existed in God and is now out here. Last time I checked, the Bible says you were created in his image and his likeness. He gave you dominion and authority over all the works of his hands. What about what you now see inside? Why don't you take it and let it come outside? When was the last time you sat down and saw doors opening for you? Business owners, when was the last time you sat down and just took a moment and just pictured people walking into your office and saying, I want to do business with you? People calling up on the phone saying, yeah, send me a thousand units. When was the last time you fostered a vision beyond where you are right now? Come on, don't put the brakes on. When was the last time you pictured someone opening a new door for you of opportunity? When was the last time you took some time to picture meeting someone on the street and sharing the goodness of God with them? When was the last time you just took some time to picture yourself reconnecting with an old friend? Come on, don't put the brakes on. We want to be practical here. When was the last time you saw yourself beyond doing something that you're already doing? That the boundaries of the world that you live in, your life, when was the last time you saw them stretching? You know, there's a prayer that a man named Jabez prayed in the Bible. Only one time he ever gets mentioned, and it's this awesome prayer, and he says, Lord, expand my boundaries. Stretch out my tent pegs. 
says God did it. Only time Jabez is mentioned. And he prayed a bold prayer. Lord, stretch the boundaries. Have you fostered that vision in your heart? Maybe you just have this dissatisfaction of where you are in your career. Well, have you pictured your career expanding? Have you pictured standing in a place that God has called you to? Maybe you're out of place. Have you taken time to foster that vision and to look with your eyes of your heart? You know, man, one of the greatest people I know is a man named Spiros Golgeras, and he was my roommate when I was in school. And he, he started it himself, but it caught on, and everybody now calls him. We call him Spiros the Blessed, because everything he touches just expands and increases. And I found out why that happens, because he takes time to dream. We, we were all off on a trip, and we were heading up into the hills near, uh, near Corinth, and I was going to go check out some old sites and everything that, like that from the Bible. And I'm like, why don't you come with me? I'd love for you to you know, tell me what's going on. He's like, no, I feel like I want to take some time to dream. And I'm like, okay. And I came back after I had toured around the sites, and there he was sitting. I said, so what were you dreaming about? He's like, I just see myself with buses so that I can take people to church. I just see that happening. Something he walked out later on. He's like, I, he's like, and I'm like, what else were you dreaming? He's like, I was seeing myself going into this country and starting a Bible school. You know what he did a year from then? He went to that country and he started a new Bible school. And it's like every time I talk to him, he's got a new school, another church. He's got like eight churches now and four different Bible schools. And I just saw like two days ago that he's now in a new country that he's never been before. He's going into the country of Georgia. And it's like, Everything that he walks out is something he took time to dream. God was planting a vision in his heart before he ever walked it out. Hope allows you to live in a land before you've reached that land. Man. We're going a lot of different places that I wasn't expecting we were going. But by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that could be seen or can be seen. He saw it inside himself and then he spoke it into existence. So let's look at that. Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so you would think, with that statement, there everything was. But the next verse says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so we know that that first verse where he says God created the heavens and the earth was not the physical act, but the inward act. He created before he created. Because God doesn't create things without form. God doesn't create things that are void. God doesn't create things that are dark. It says, in him is light and in whom there is no darkness. And so the state we see it in verse number two is not how God would leave things because it's contrary to everything else we know about him. And so in verse 1, he creates. Verse 2, there is nothing. And verse 3, he says, let there be light. And there was light. And it goes on from there over and over again. Let there be land. Let there be sky. Let there be birds. Let there be animals. And whatever he spoke into existence then came into existence. 
First it started inside, and then he let it outside. What have you been fostering inside that you're ready to release on your life on the outside? Come on. This is not how the world operates. So you got to stop holding on to the world way of thinking. The world doesn't think like this. This is how God thinks. How do we know that? Well, let's just jump ahead to, to uh, look at uh, Abraham. Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, in verse 13, it says, For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but was through the righteousness of faith. What was the promise that God made to Abraham? God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to multiply you as the sand on the sea and as the stars in the sky. What was he doing? He was planting vision in him. Here's sand. See all those little grainy particles? John, you ever been on the beach and you pick it up and it's just all these millions and millions of little pieces of sand? He was planting vision in Abraham. He said, Abraham, your descendants are going to look like this sand. You've been outside on a, on a dark night where there's no light pollution from towns around, and you just see all of the stars. They just stand out so vividly and beautifully. It was another vision that he put in Abraham. Abraham, see how many stars you got? That's what your kids will be like. Do you know he said that to a man who had no kids and was old? Last time I checked, old people don't have kids. And we're not talking about just like kind of old like Pastor Robin. We're talking like old, old, like person like we would think like one foot in the grave, <laughs> you know? He was like, by the time the promise came to pass, he was like 99 years old. So we're talking old, old, which tells me God doesn't look at what's possible to man. He looks at what he said and said, that's how it will be. And so he makes this promise to Abraham that you're going to be, you're going to have descendants as much as the sand is on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And I'm telling it to a man who doesn't have a kid and he's already old, but he said that promise, he was given that promise. Verse 16, it says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all seed. He didn't say that it's by your works or what you can see. He said that it is by faith so that it can be sure to everyone. Meaning the way that Abraham was about to walk this out is the way that you walk it out. And the same faith that he used is the same faith you get to use. The same grace that he stood in is the same grace that you stand in. And so he's telling us how to live life right here. Says that it, that it could be sure for everyone, says not only those who are of the law, meaning those who are of the works or looking to their own actions to save them, says, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17. I've color-coded this to try and make this easier for you. First part is God. God's promise to Abraham was, I have made you a father of many nations. And then it tells us what Abraham believed about God. It says, in the presence of of him whom he believed. So he's about to tell us what Abraham believes about God. So this is what God does. The next part. 
who gives life to the dead, and he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Come on, we're talking about hope and faith running roots together. God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Which means he's not looking at what's going on around him. God didn't look at what was present to determine what was possible. Come on. So that means we need to stop looking at what is currently present and the doors that are open right now to you. We need to stop looking at them to determine what is possible for you. What is possible is what God has said about you, Rob. What is possible is what God has said about you, Marnie. What is possible is what God has said about each and every one of us, no matter how implausible it may seem in the moment that we're living. Don't choose to live in that moment. Look to the next and move forward with hope in God. And so he said that God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's what Abraham believed about God. And Abraham was one of those guys that had a ton of conversations with him. So if anybody's going to know, it's Abraham. God would come down and talk to him and say, Abraham, I'm going to have to go and get rid of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham had the boldness to stand up and say, God, if there's 50 righteous people in the city, will you spare it for that? Come on, he had confidence to speak openly with God and bargain and contemplate with him and bring, put him in remembrance of his promises. He believed that God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And so what did Abraham do because of that belief? It says, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. Let's say that a little better. Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, he hoped in faith. What Paul was trying to say there is Abraham naturally should have given up. He should have stopped believing that it would come to pass because he was only getting older and time was only passing further on. But do you know what God did to anchor Abraham? His name didn't start out as Abraham. It was Abram. And God came to him and said, I'm now going to call you Abraham which means father of many nations. He changed the name of a guy who has no kids to father of many nations. So that everybody who calls him name and says, Abraham is calling out the promise. You're the father of many nations. When his wife says, Abraham, you're going to come in here for a second? All he heard was, I'm the father of many nations nations. That vision was being stirred. That hope within him was being kept alive. And so Paul says Abraham should have stopped after 13 years. But you know what? He could have stopped in year 12. He could have stopped in year 11. He could have stopped in year 1 or even month 1 after it seemed like, well, Sarah's old too. She's not pregnant yet. I guess I must have misheard. No. He went after year 1, year 2, year 3, year 4, year 5, year 6, year 7, year 8, year 9, year 10, year 11, year 12, year 13. And finally, here comes the son of promise. Finally, it goes from a land that I'm walking to, to a land that I'm now standing in. And what I have believed has come to pass. And sometimes we get bored in the waiting. 
that's when we stir the hope again. That there is a place that I'm walking to. That there's greater things ahead. There's more for today than what lies behind me. We are going into greater days. Come on. Even here at Word Church, doesn't matter what lies behind. There are great things ahead. You go ahead and you look to the seats beside you because in the months to come, they will be filled with hungry people who have turned their lives to God. There's going to be people coming to this altar saying, God, I don't want what this world has to offer any longer. I only want you. Come on. There is a confident expectation of what lies ahead of us, and we're just going to keep stirring that vision. Come on, it might not be a vision you want to talk about, but I'm going to keep talking about it. Just like Abraham kept being called father of many nations, I'm going to keep saying it is coming to pass. That the sound in this house is the sound of revival. It is the sound of energy, and it will increase in energy. Come on. What God has spoken it shall come to pass. And so now I stand in the place of hope, looking to what he said, not looking at what is. Hallelujah. And so Abraham should have given up. But it said, being not weak in faith, he didn't consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. I love that. And the deadness of Sarah's womb because she was just as old. It says he didn't waver at the promise through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Hallelujah. You can say, well, I think my day has passed, Pastor Jordan. No, no, it isn't. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're at. God has more vision for you. Come on, I heard, I, I had preached a message on setting goals once a year back, and one guy was excited, and he was like, man, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go home, and I, I gotta, gotta think again, I gotta dream again, I gotta stretch a little bit, and he turned to someone who was retired and said, said, what are you doing? They're like, well, I'm happy where I'm at, <laughs> and I was like, no, retirement means nothing, it means you're more available for God, come on, <laughs> Pastor Wendy, you're just getting more and more available. God's got great things for you. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're at. This isn't about your business. This isn't about your job. This is about life. God will keep expanding your boundaries until you step off into the days of glory and go to heaven with him. Come on. So don't say that my day has passed. It doesn't matter how many times he has to break the chains off you. It doesn't matter how many times he has to kick the prison door back open. You know, the, the nation of Israel, he had to rescue them so many times. He got so mad at them sometimes. He's like, seriously, guys, again? You've turned back to these dumb idols again? You've gone back into captivity again? You're being subjugated by another country again? So much so that the psalmist in Psalm 126 says this. It says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. Come on. He had done it again, and he'll do it again. He's done it before, and he'll do it again. It says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. And then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. And they said among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. Come on, go ahead and say, the Lord, the Lord is, doing is doing great things for me. The Lord has done great things for us, and whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord. And as the streams of the south, 
that the, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Come on. And he that goes forth with weeping bears precious seed and shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. What's that talking about? It's talking about sowing. Go ahead and sow in hope because you sow in hope today and you reap a harvest tomorrow. Now get up on your feet. God, we thank you that there is a hope for us in this season. There is a hope for our lives that it doesn't matter what lies behind. I don't look to what has been. I only look to your word to set the tone of my life. I don't look for my joy in the world. I look for my joy in you. Your word says that your joy, O Lord, is my strength. It is my stronghold. I thank you, Lord, that I will be joyful in you. I will look with expectation to where it is that you are bringing me. I look with expectation to where you're taking word, church. I look with expectation to where you are drawing these people here in this day, Father. I thank you. You are stretching them in this time. You are stretching them in this time. You are giving them a little nudge to say, think a little bigger, dream a little larger. Come on, because we're not willing to be content with yesterday's blessings. I want to stand in what you have for me today. I want to stand in what you have for me tomorrow. Come on, hallelujah. God, I thank you for your love. Yes, I have a hope in you, Jesus. Yes, I will stand confidently in what you've called me to, oh Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, we worship you. Yes, we say yes. Yes, we say yes to all you have. Lord, Jesus. Toph, why don't you sing that? Yeah. Yes, you are. You are. Oh, so faithful, Lord. believing for their family, that you're believing that they're going to turn their lives around and that they're going to come back to Jesus, that they're going to point their life in that direction. He's saying, don't lose hope. You go ahead and you stir that up. You go ahead and remind yourself, you see them coming back into the kingdom of God. You see them committing your life to them. You stir that hope up because what you stir today, you will live in tomorrow. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We believe for those who have walked away. We believe for those who have turned their back on you and they're, they're looking at the things of the world to satisfy. We know that the world can't. 
Once you've tasted of the goodness of the kingdom, nothing else will satisfy. And so we call them back, Lord. We call them in, we call them in, we call them in now in Jesus' name. Woo, hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Oh, we thank you for souls and more souls, Lord. We thank you of whole families being impacted. Impacted by the word, Lord. Yes, hallelujah. That they can see the light of your glorious gospel that's been hid in your sons and your daughters. That we would so let our light shine before men. That they would see good works and glorify the Father. That they would see your goodness in us and glorify the Father. So we call them in in Jesus' name. We call them in in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah. Whew. Maybe you've been with us this morning or you're watching us via the internet and you haven't turned your heart to Jesus. We've been talking about it, so we might as well give you an opportunity. Coming to church, as I said earlier, does not make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a Christian. It says all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, you shall be saved. And so we would love to pray with you right now. Say, Father, Father I, declare Jesus as Lord. I declare Jesus as Lord. I receive him into my life right now. I, I turn from all else to him. Jesus, be glorified in me. And I start afresh with you today. If you just prayed that prayer with us, we'd love for you to get in contact with us. We'd love to get some resources into your hands and get you hooked up with a good church in your area. If you're in the Smith Falls area, we say welcome home. Come on and join us. We would love to walk this journey together with you. Well, our Word Care team is going to be right up here at the front in a moment. And they would love to pray with you, believe with you. If you want the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, go and see them. They would love to believe with you. If you've got a testimony that you want to celebrate with someone, they would love to pray with you right there. Whatever it is, take advantage of that. Don't go through life alone. If you'd like to give today, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give, or there's envelopes in the seats in front of you and a basket at the back. But guys, come on. This week, this week, you have opportunity. Stir up hope and expectancy again. I've done it before, Pastor Jordan. I've done it before. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You're blessed. Have a wonderful week.